This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. Mento LLC Trade Consulting focuses on issues of duty minimization, recovery, and elimination, while also helping our clients with trade compliance issues of both the import and export nature and global cargo security. You can reach us at 978-317-3250 or email me directly at pete.mento at Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. I'm um, very excited that Ann Lister has decided to join me today. Um, she's a very busy lady. For someone who is supposed to be retired, she's always doing something. She's either traveling someplace, meeting with someone, or doing something. So the fact, Ann, that you found 15 minutes to talk to me today, I really do appreciate that. My pleasure. All right. So, Ann Lister, you are the Grand Poobah CEO, Emperor, Visionary of ICPA. Um, I'm not sure what your actual title is now. It's um, it's a joint title. We um, we had volunteer treasurers for okay. years and years and years, but uh, it got to be that there was so much money involved that no one wanted to be responsible for that kind of money. So we made it a paid position and added it on to, uh, I'm actually the chief operating officer and the chief financial officer. Man, yeah, well, we'll get to ICPA in a minute because I have a lot of beautiful things to say about it, but I want to talk about you first. So where are you from? Let's start with that. And how did you get involved in this silly business that we all work hey, in? This, this funny story. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was born and raised in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, moved to Texas uh, in the 1980s. And, and true story, I got into this business by accident, which I think is a lot of people's same story. Um, I was a medical student and, and uh, they discovered I had a brain tumor. So I was um, had the operation and uh, as my husband said, uh, after that, you were about as much fun as a head of broccoli. Oh. It, was, it was a lot of stuff that I had to learn to do. Again, I stuttered, um, and I, my IQ dropped 25 points. How so, old were you, Anne? Um, let me think here. I think I was just 30. Wow. Okay. Anyway, so fast forward. Um, uh, he was killed in an airplane crash, and here, and that was just shortly after I'd had this surgery. Um, and because he was killed as the pilot of our own aircraft, but he didn't have a rider on our insurance, there was no insurance. So at that point, I lost everything. But it truthfully was one of the best things that's ever happened because I learned really quickly never owe anybody anything because they can take it away. You know, and, yeah. and that's a lesson a lot of young kids don't ever get. Yeah. You know, they're in tons of debt and whatever. So um, I went to work for a, actually a vending company because, and I delivered soda pop because all you had to know was um, Seven Up is green, you know, <laughs> Dr. Pepper is brown, you know, and they gave me a map of where I went and I just put the green ones with the green ones and the brown, I mean, it was that bad. Uh, and, and people would say to me, Pete, why didn't you finish medical school? I said, well, who pays the bills while I'm going to school? That's not a part-time thing. 
you know, mm -hmm. that's a full-time commitment. And I had a, um, a young child at the time. So the guy I went to school, to church with, um, was a licensed broker. And I'm not kidding you. He said to me, brain damaged, no problem. You can do air freight. <laughs> he got me a job at the airport with a, a Japanese forwarder. And that was quite the experience. I was obviously the only female in the office. And I realized very quickly, if I was going to get anywhere in this particular business, I had to get whatever a broker's license was, I had to get one of those. So um, I studied and kind of hopped around a little bit from a couple different brokers, got my license. Uh, and then in 94, so about 10 years uh, after I was in this business, maybe not quite 10, um, I got an offer from Motorola to come internal. So I left the brokerage side of the business and went into the, um, the consumer products type division. And then from there, uh, went to uh, Texas Instruments in 2000. And you were there quite a while. Yeah, I think 11 years. Hmm. Wow. That, uh, I've, I've, probably, I've probably talked to you for 100 hours, and I've never heard that story. Well, it, it's something, um, I don't share it with a lot of people. I don't want them to think I'm a complete dingbat, but um, <laughs> my, my dad kind of was a humorous guy, uh, and he would say, you know, with some people, it's just rumored they have a brain. There have been professionals that actually saw yours. That's true. So, um, and my IQ prior to the surgery was significantly high. And it made me not a fun person to be around in some cases because the things that my peers were thinking about, I thought about those 15 years earlier. If, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. I, um, school was never hard. And so all of a sudden I was a normal person with a normal IQ and abilities. Heavens. I know, <laughs> but it was like, you know, fortunately I had, um, I don't know, a, a good sense of humor because I think whenever there are tragedies that happen, if you don't have some kind of a sense of humor, you're lost. I agree. You know, yeah. or, or, or people that place the blame game on, well, this happened to me and woe is me. Um, my theory was why not me? You know, I'm better prepared than most people to, to endure this. Um, and not only just survive, but thrive. And that's what I chose to do. Wow. Wow. So that, I mean, it, it's um, the part I like the best is when the guy said, brain damaged, you could do air freight. Yeah. You wasn't far from wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, people in the freight industry don't get it, right? I mean, air freight people are just a little bit smarter than sales, I guess. So that's, yeah, um, that's kind of how that works. So I, I came to know you, um, a little better. I mean, I knew you from Texas Instruments when I was at Tradewind a thousand years ago, but most of us know you in this industry because of ICPA. And there are a lot of organizations that we are members of, you know, NCBFFA, AAEI, but the International Compliance Professionals Association, for those of us who are specifically engaged in trade compliance, international trade, customs brokerage, 
who I think are in the more cerebral part of what we do. This is the organization. This is the group that, um, you know, the annual conference was always like Comic-Con for us. You know, it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the one time a year where no matter how weird we were to everybody else, we were around our people. And I can remember going to, um, you know, it, it must've been San Antonio, right? Cause that's where the Alamo is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. When we still. were in San Antonio, <laughs> still. <laughs> and uh, that first year that we went, I, I went there for the national meeting. And it was so wonderful being around people who were just like us. And in Miami the year before, I think it was, it was just wonderful. And now there are so damn many of us, Anne. There are, it's like we found our tribe and we have this family reunion, a big one. I know there's smaller yeah. ones, right? There's, yeah. there's, yeah. there's other ones that happen. But it's not just in this country anymore. I've I've gone to ICPA annual meetings in Europe with you. I went to one in Asia. I mean, there, there. This is a global concern that you just manifested out of thin air, and I want to know how this happened. Well, it's funny because you, you might remember this in April of two thousand one. Um. We were at an expediter's uh, seminar in Grapevine, mm -hmm. Texas, at the Hilton DFW Lakes. You were actually one of the speakers, and I remember that. Uh, and and there was it was it was a large crowd of people, and there was some discussion uh, to, on the other side of the room um, where, where somebody had a question and nobody knew the answer or they wanted some feedback. And it happened to be a person that was attached to NCB FFA. And Linda Westerfield and I were outside and we don't remember now which one said what, but we said, you know, there's not a group like that for just compliance people, you know, strictly compliance people. So the other person said, well, why don't we start one? It started that day. We met the next week for lunch, came up with the name, some things that we wanted to accomplish. And we were we started with um, an individual um, email distribution list. Okay. And did a question and answer thing, all of it anonymous because no one no one should know some of the questions people ask. It's like oh yeah, somebody's going to jail. Okay. So <laughs> We don't want that to be the case. So it was really, it was, we, we stripped all the information out of it and just put out the question, okay? And then simultaneously, um, the answers two days later. So in, towards the end of the year, I did a count of how many people were on this email list and there were over 400. I remember that specifically. And I told Linda, I said, you know what? We've got something here. Uh, and we both decided we needed to incorporate. Uh, we were kind of certain we should incorporate in Delaware. Uh, turns out we didn't need to do that, but we did it anyway because we're a nonprofit. We could have done it right here in Texas. But Kathy Murphy, I don't know if you're familiar. Yep. Kathy Murphy, she was at Cat and Mution then. Mm -hmm. And uh, her team stepped up and said, we believe in what you're doing and we'll pay your incorporation fees. Wow. And so in 2002, I think in June, we were incorporated and uh, then the board of directors said, we need to have a conference. And they wanted a conference like the next spring. I said, no, you need to wait because if you do a bad first one, you'll never need to do a, 
a second yeah. one. And it was off and running. We all gave $100 so we could have a checking account. <laughs> uh, and, and it was just, it, it, I think the thing that made it successful was that there was never a thought in developing this and to this day where someone says, what can we do to make money? That's, that's not the driving force. The driving force and the question we ask first is, how can we make this a better experience for our members? What do they need? How can we provide that? And I think if that's the focus, it's kind of like the old saying, Pete, um, well, two that comes to mind, if you build it, they will come. Mm and if you have a, a good product at a fair price people will buy it absolutely and so that's the whole thing and, and we made it more of a community it's got a community feel to it and and it's hard to do that with so many people but we try uh in as many ways as we know to create a sense of community because you've been to the cocktail parties where someone says and what do you do <laughs> and their eyes just gloss over and you think, I'm so glad I engaged this conversation. Yeah. And, and we are, to your point earlier, you go to one of our events and you're with people, you don't even have to explain to them what you do because they already know. Yeah. yeah. They've been there or will be there. I, I had a call this morning with one of my clients and she's a mutual friend of ours. I won't say her name on the podcast, but, um, I said, I'm going to talk to Ann about ICPA. She said, oh, you know, I, I love going to the annual meetings. And, and um, the, what's great about going is you realize how, how many of us there are, but how it feels like there's so few of us. We all know one another. We've all had lunch. We've all sat in the same seminars. We've all had a beer. And uh, the reason for that, a big reason for that, I think, is so many of us have gone to ICPA events and you end up building personal relationships with people who aren't stingy with information. If you need help, I think this is one of the very few industries where people don't mind sharing information with one another. Well, it, it's kind of the compliance person at a company for sure is not a revenue stream. Yeah. You know, they're, the, they're an insurance policy. And I used to tell my boss at, at TI, I said, you didn't hire me to tell you what you want to hear. You hired me to tell you what you need to know. And sometimes you're not going to like that. But my job is to keep you out of trouble in every company, every country that we do business to the best of my ability. And, and so everybody that you meet at one of the conferences or, or a seminar is engaged in the same sort of experience at their particular company. And so it's kind of a lonely position. You know, it's not, hey, let's invite the compliance guy. It'll be a great time. <laughs> You know, it's like, no, let's not tell them we're even going golfing, you know, because yeah. it's kind of weird. So you <laughs> just, just kind of go along. Um, and when you're with a group of people that understand your importance and put value on you, uh, I think that's an important thing. And, and we don't, titles don't mean anything when we all come together. Yeah. You know, we don't care. It, there are some people who are, legends in their own mind yeah and we just kind of nod pat them on the back and move move quickly away uh so we try to teach treat everybody with the same kind of respect uh that we'd want to be treated with you know yeah. 
and it shows it really does you know you um you built a massive massive organization in what i think is a relatively small amount of time when did when did icpa go global boy i would say we first maybe in 2010 i think was our first um excursions over to europe that that was the, the thing we did first it may even have been earlier than that and then china came after that and and we did we did two conferences uh in asia we did a china conference and we were also in um singapore you know like we called that like southeast asia mm-hmm. uh we did the singapore one uh at at one point in thailand because Singapore just got too, too expensive. And the Asians don't want to spend money on a conference. They, and they don't want to take multiple days off. They just don't do that. You know, they, uh, so we've had to adapt. Um, and, and we felt, uh, and the legal team felt, as did the board of directors, that China was an important focus as a trade partner for the U.S. So we were going to keep the China, but we were not going to, uh, include a Southeast China conference. And it was a brutal week because we did them back to back. You know, we'd have a Monday, Tuesday, a Wednesday travel, and a Thursday, Friday, and then move on from there. Yeah. That is a lot of travel. And, yeah. and how, how many members do you think you have at this point? Easily over 3,000. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, and not to mention the fact that in an industry of, of so small as ours, how many people are probably gaining benefits, even though they're not members, There's probably a lot of free riders. Um, well, the first year for, for a regular person in a company is free. Anyway, mm-hmm. we just said, you know, you know how, like you see a commercial for um, a car guy and he says, come do a test drive. Our test drives a whole year. Yeah. Because it takes a while for someone to understand that there's a compliance library um, that you can uh, you can visit and, and get uh, documents and paperwork. We're also uh, moving towards um, something I call this. This is my new my new project personally. Um, ICPA TV, where the sessions at the conferences, uh, some of them are recorded, but we're also doing what I call like compliance TED talks, where somebody can come in and for ten minutes talk on some subject, and then that is archived in a, in a private YouTube channel yeah. so that there are th- the people out there who can't travel at all, and there are tons of them. They would love to come to a conference, but they can't come. Your $100 membership will give you access to all of those little TED Talks, or maybe we'll call it Bill Talks, I don't know, um, the, the compliance short uh, meetings uh, or presentations uh, where they can get a taste of something that goes on. We're also doing, as is everybody, virtual. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, well, we did uh, an on-site um, and virtual here in, in Texas because Texas is pretty much open for business. Right. You know, so once you sign a contract with a hotel and they're open for business, there is no force majeure. You cancel that, you're screwed. So we had to press on. And, and really, the hotel bent over backwards. They said, look, there's not going to be any attrition. However many people show up, that's fine. 
And they went out of their way to partner with us and make that something where uh, we didn't lose any money whatsoever. In fact, we made a little bit of money and just left it on deposit for next year. Wow. So, and San Antonio will be the same, pretty much the same way. There'll be a smaller number of people. It's at the end of March and things will be completely different in March. Personal opinion. It may not be. You know, I think the European things uh, in Canada, that's kind of iffy. We just don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I, I've said to myself, I'm going to go. If they have them, I'll be there uh, because we have to start getting ourselves back into the rhythm of business in this world. Um, and I, I know that as an as a industry, we miss that interaction and we need yeah. to start interacting as a family again. So it's good to hear that that's going to happen. Will that be just here in the U.S. or do you think you're going to have that around the world as well? Well, the problem with virtual around the world is that we have um, expensive production equipment that I don't think we want to cart with us. Oh. You know, the new cam, we just bought a new camera. It was like five grand, Ooh. you know. So um, we've got a couple guys that are Zoom experts and they're working with us. Um, and it's, it's, we will eventually have all of our own production equipment. And, and that's something that I've always done. I've, um, my mother said it was my Scottish background that made me cheap, you know. I don't know if that's true. I didn't find, you know, people in Scotland cheap, but the, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. When you go to a conference and they've got a projector and they're showing a PowerPoint, yep. those projectors at hotels run anywhere from three to $500 a day to rent them. That's ridiculous. And I have five breakouts. So even if they're 400, that's two grand a day. The things are only a thousand dollars. Yeah. So I have eight of them myself. Mm-hmm. I never rent them from the hotels. We have, we just are in the process of purchasing brand new um, laptops to do the presentations on and just our laptops to rent for any conference were two grand. Now we do, take, we do take um, our laptops overseas with us. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a special little case that's a carry on, yeah. but uh, so, so I think Europe will be live, China will be live, but there'll be no virtual. And, and our camera crew can't travel to Canada and work, you know, because they live here in the U.S. So there's some sticky things about, about that. So it'll be, for the time being, um, the San Antonio conference, uh, we have an ITAR conference in April here in Fort Worth. It will be also virtual, live and virtual. Uh, San Diego in July will be live and virtual, as will the fall conference next September, I think. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, if, you, if you had to say what you think the future of ICPA is going to be, how would you define that? I think there's going to be a lot more technology involved and making it accessible to those people who can't travel to a specific location to get education, because that's what we're all about. We're, we're all about collaboration and education and, and in a fun way. I like to tell people I'm an edutainer. I do education in an entertaining way because first of all, I hate conferences, which is surprising because I plan them, but um, it's, you know, you don't want to go there and be stuffy and people not themselves. So the stuff that we're learning and the subjects that we touch on 
at our conferences, it's some, it can be really cerebral stuff. And you need that comedic relief to get people out of being so stressed with what's going on. Yeah. Just in the sessions, you know, so uh, we make it fun to be there. Oh, and people talk too. I, um, you know, if you're, if, if you have a bad session, people are going to be talking about it 10 minutes later. It's, uh, and I've had people come up to me and tell me that was, you know, piece of, I heard your session wasn't so good today, Pete, you got to step your game up. So I've, I've been on that side of that. Uh, so listen, and everybody has to answer three questions at the end of my podcast. And um, I, I don't think I gave you the questions ahead of time. I don't know if you've heard them, but they're very simple. All right. So you ready? Yeah, ready. All right. Question number one. What was the first car you ever owned? Uh, 1964 Plymouth Ford Fury station wagon. Oh. Yeah, I shared it with my twin brother. That worked out well. Oh, that's a kick-ass ride, Ann. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Oh, that's like a that's a that's a serious beast of a car. That thing could really motor. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It, it we we sort of always got the family car. You know uh -huh. what I mean? They passed down. Dad um, worked for the water company, and he had a company car. And when the company car came available, we kids got the the old company car. Oh, that's awesome! All right, question number two. Okay. First job that you ever had? Do you? Uh, and so, like, someone actually paid you? It wasn't you know babysitting your brothers and sisters? First job you ever had? What was it? And what'd you get paid? It was a summer job. And it was cutting apricots uh, in an orchard uh, near our house. And I got 50 cents a tray. Oh, man. Yeah. 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 That was a character builder right there. Yeah. Well, a bunch of us, I mean, um, we would walk to work at five in the morning, you know, and the, and the guy, the, the farmer would, you know, just pay every day. It was fun. It, it was interesting. You're out in the field with your friends. Yeah, yeah I can see that. Great. Yeah. All right, third question and final question. The laws of physics, time and space do not apply. Uncle Pete has a magic wand and I can wave it and you can have any job. You, you, could, you could have any job. You could be a center for the Mavericks. You could be queen of England. You could have any job other than the one you have right now. What would that job be? I would be a surgeon. Oh, you'd be a surgeon. I would go back and finish medical school and uh, medicine is a calling you know what i mean and yeah. and um i don't go around looking for sick people or anything but <laughs> that's where my heart is you know making people you know healing them and making their lives yeah. better i think that's beautiful and i don't know somebody who runs a compliance professionals association you definitely run around looking for sick people because i don't think any of us are exactly stable so yeah, but it, there are days where you meet the real crazies. And you, feel <laughs> yourself, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about all the crap you got to deal with when you put a bunch of us in the same hotel or how many people you've had to throw the hell out or how many folks you've had to banish forever or how many times you wanted to choke somebody out. We'll leave that for another podcast, but I really do appreciate you making time and that was an incredible story and on behalf of everybody and i mean this sincerely and everybody who's in this crazy business thank you for taking the initiative to give us a place that feels like home we really do appreciate it awesome i appreciate the time all right and we'll talk again soon okay Take care, bud. Bye, -bye. bye bye 